0: Welcome to On Air with Amber Wynn, where nonprofit leaders learn to fuse passion and commitment with proven business strategies to create long term funding, impact, and sustainability. And now, here's your host and resident
1: entrepreneur, Amber Wynn. Hey, fam. It's Amber Wynn and I'm so excited to be here today. We are still in our Grant series and today we're covering the B-side. So for those of you who know what a vinyl record is, we had an A-side and a B-side and the A-side was usually that side that was like on the charts and then the B-side was another song on the album that they were trying to just get some exposure to. Well, the B-side today as you will find is a gem, you know, I typically always love the B sides. I don't know why. The B side for this grant series is the funders perspective. And I think that's important to have because sometimes we go into grant writing blind, you know, not knowing what's important, not knowing why things are asked, not knowing, not knowing, not knowing. And having been on the funder side, having been on the reviewer side, I think it sheds a whole bunch of light on what's important and why you do the things that you do. So when we come back from our first uh, commercial, I'm going to dive into sharing with you the B-side, Insider Secrets from the funder's perspective. This is you and this is your business. From invoicing your first client to your 10th client to your 100th client, you'll need to get paid quickly. Pretty soon, you'll be ready to hire some help, and you'll need to pay them. As your business grows, Wave is there to grow with you. Hey, so we're back. You're here with your girl, Amber. We're on air with Amber, and today we're talking about insider secrets from the funder's perspective. And I want to say something. You know, I have people, founders saying to me, yeah, I need some grants. I need some of that free money. Grant money is not free. It's not a loan and you don't have to pay it back. But there is an exchange when a funder awards you grant money. There are expectations that come with that. I mean, real expectations to the degree of if you use that money for something other than what was detailed in your proposal. If you use that money for something else, like there are serious repercussions, legal repercussions, like go to jail repercussions, like we didn't have enough money to cover our salary. So we used that grant money to cover that. And that grant money was specific for the programs and the funder found out. And guess what? Now you are um, blacklisted. And so all of the funders in this community, which is small, by the way, know that you use that money for something else. And so now you're not going to get funded. So it's not free money because if it was free money, it wouldn't matter what you use the money for. You could use the money, let's say to pay a grant writer who wrote the grant and won it, but you can't because that money is allocated for something specific. So I want you to go in understanding the funder's perspective. It is not our responsibility to fund your organization. We come together, the funder and the grantee, and we agree that there is a program that you have designed that's going to help me accomplish my goals as a funder. I am expecting as a funder a return on my investment. That return has been laid out in your proposal. So it's not let me get a grant writer to write me to write a grant for me to get this money to do whatever I want. I'm going to, you know, pay for a building, pay for this. Whatever is written in that proposal is what you have promised to deliver on. That is so important because so many nonprofits miss that part. The funder is respecting, expecting a return on their investment. Secondly, um, you know, when we receive tons and tons of applications, we've got to read through all of them. And so I encourage my clients to really try and be innovative, right? I have this thing, it's called the so what factor. If I read your proposal and I'm like, so what? Like you go into the no pile because it's not innovative. It's not exciting. It's not different. And I always use tutoring because I, I, I can't share with you how many times people want to start a nonprofit to do tutoring. And so I'm like, so what? Like, so what do you want to do? <laughs> like what? Well, we're going to increase, the, you know, the kids' grades. Okay, so what? Like, like, what is innovative about your tutoring program? What is, what is exciting about it? I mean, is it how it's delivered? Oh, no. We deliver ours on an app. Um, you know, we, I don't know. It's Zen. It's something, but just a regular after school tutoring program, they're a dime, a dozen. So I want when you're writing your proposal to say to yourself after you've written it, when you when you reread it, can you say to yourself so what? And the answer is this is amazing. If you say so what because like it's just like all of the other programs out there, then you need to go back to the drawing board. All right. Secondly, when you submit to a funder, we need to be able to determine whether or not your program was successful. So if you say, you know, we're going to empower girls, how will I as a funder be able to determine if you accomplish that goal? It's called measurable goals. So you need to say, we're going to empower young women. um, And how we're going to do that is we're going to give them the skills to apply and attend college, or we're going to give them the skills to start their own entrepreneurial program. I can measure, um, skill enhancement, right? So you can say we trained, um, young women on how to run a podcast. You know, they learned the board, they learned the lighting, they learned the, we can, we can, we can measure that. So it can't just be, you know, we are empowering them because that is not measurable. There has to be something tied to that that demonstrates that you've actually made an impact. Um, A lot of times, you know, you guys make the goals hope and empowerment and strength. And those are very vague and intangible. You've got to connect them to something that that the funder can see can be measured. Because at the end of the program, we need to say this person accomplished those goals or they didn't. So measurable goals are extremely important. If you don't have them in your proposal, there's a high likelihood that you won't get funded because then we won't be able to determine whether or not the program was a success. And then I talked about this on the A side, but you know, really your brand um, says a lot about you. So I have more applications than I have money. I'm gonna pick the very best because I can. I can only pick five and I have 125, I don't have to swim at the bottom. I have people who understand that their proposals is a representation of their brand. So they make sure that they don't have typos. They make sure that when they submit to me, Amber Wynn, that on the cover letter, it doesn't say um, Shanice Johnson. Like those things matter. Yes, it's just a, a, a typo. And yes, I recognize that you are submitting to other foundations, but it makes a difference when everybody else has Amber Wynn and you have Shanice Johnson. My my feeling is then go submit it to Shanice Johnson. You didn't take the time to go through and check and make sure that you were sending the right RFP to the right person. And small things like that are what we look for as funders because we have to steward our resources. So we are looking for legal Reasonable ways to eliminate the number of people or organizations that we have to review. It's just like a a job, right? You've got one position, but you've got 50 resumes. So when you look at the resume and you're like, this is full of typos, you put it in the no pile. It's the same thing for grants. You're thinking, well, they're just concerned about the quality of the program. We don't know the quality of the program, we know the quality of your proposal. And it's filled with typos and mistakes and, you know, you didn't even answer the question. You didn't even follow the instructions. What does that say to me as a funder? It says this is the type of grantee I'm going to have to deal with for a year. Seriously, if you don't answer the questions on um, the guidelines or the application, I'm saying when I'm expecting monthly reports. You're not going to answer those questions. You know, who you are on this application is a reflection of who you're going to be as a grantee. If I have 10 proposals and they're tight, and I mean tight, like no mistakes or very little, um, they answered all the questions they've given me, measurable, um, goals they're, It's innovative. Why am I going to worry with somebody who didn't bother to answer the second part of the two part question? I am not. So it's important from the funder's perspective that you understand what we're looking for. And no, we're not looking for perfection. However, we tend to get it because people who write grants understand that they're representing their organization. And they take the time to go through and edit their proposals so that they can be above their competitors. I'm sharing this with you. Because I have a lot of people who think, "Oh well, it's about the program it's not it's about competing it's about making sure you represent yourself and as a funder, I am looking for legal ways to reduce my pile right? Are you eligible on the A side? We talked about um, you know you doing the research to make sure that your goals align with mine as a funder. If you're not eligible, meaning I'm giving out money to serve veterans, but I'm giving out money to serve veterans to help them get jobs. Your organization helps veterans, but it's housing. That's not a good fit. You're not eligible. So I am not going to fund you. To me, it's like I'm looking for ways to say, nope, 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 because there's more applicants than there is money. So I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that cutting and pasting answers into, you know, the, the application is shoddy and it's not representative of your organization because the funder has to read them all. And if the question says, share with us your experience with um, connecting veterans to wraparound services. And your answer is we provide um, a plethora of services to da, da 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 but it didn't answer the question. There's an answer there, but it didn't specifically answer my question. I know that you're cutting and pasting and I know that you didn't take the time to do what was required for this application. That is a legal way reason for me to now put you in the no pile. So, from the funder's perspective, I'm looking for you to take the time out to be responsive to the application to do your due diligence, and really just represent your organization well. All right. So as I said before, we're on the B side of the grant series, Insider Secrets, and I'm sharing with you um, perspectives of a funder. We're going to pause for a minute for uh, a sponsor promo. But when we come back, um, we're going to allow one of our listeners to ask Amber their pressing question. We'll be back soon.
0: Do you have a tool that organizes your company's paperwork and
1: takes care of all your record keeping?
0: Does your current record keeping system send you 90 day alerts to remind you that your key documents are about to expire and need to be renewed? Can you find contracts and procurement opportunities in seconds from any of the 50 United States so you can grow your business? Is your business organized so that you can tell which key documents are needed to efficiently run the business? How about woman-owned, small business, or disadvantaged business enterprise certifications? Do you have a checklist of all the key documents you need to become certified? Does your current system allow you to conduct market research from multiple sources and provide you industry and market data in seconds? Well, Small Biz Pro does all of that and more. Small Biz Pro is the number one business management, compliance, procurement assistance, and market research assistance tool on the market today. Download the app now and you will be amazed. It's like having three additional employees working for you, but you don't have to pay them. What are you waiting for?
1: Welcome back. You're on air with Amber. And now here's the part of the episode where you get to ask me your pressing question. So go ahead, ask Amber. Hello Amber, my name is June. I'm calling from Carson, California. I'm new to the grant writing world, so there are some questions I'm not sure how to answer. This one I've seen on a couple of applications and I'm not sure what they're asking. What type of client will you be serving, duplicated or unduplicated? Thank you. And I'm really enjoying the podcast. All right. That's a great question. Um, So a funder wants to know in terms of your client, how many times are you providing services? Right. So um, how many clients will you serve in total for the grant period? Duplicated means that you're going to serve the same client multiple times. So let's just say if you're working with a a group of young women for eight weeks, you are going to see them once a week for eight weeks. It's the same group of girls. That means that it's duplicated. You're duplicating the number of times you're going to see them. Unduplicated. uh, Let's try that again. Unduplicated means that you'll serve the person once. Um, So this might be like a food distribution or like a clothing store. They come in one time, that's it. So typically, unduplicated numbers are gonna be higher because you're only gonna see them once. And they just wanna know because, um, you know, it makes a difference when you do uh, cost per client, right? It's gonna be higher for the duplicated than the unduplicated. So duplicated means you'll serve the same client multiple times and unduplicated means you'll serve them once. That was a great question, Carla. Thank you so much. All right. So you guys know what time it is. It is my most favorite time of the episode. And it's when I get to spotlight a nonprofit that is doing some amazing work in the community. This week's spotlight goes to Versa Style Dance Company. And I love the work that they're doing. Versa Style specifically aims to perform for the youth of Los Angeles to instill the roots, history, and social and political issues surrounding the art of their generation. Hip hop breaks color lines by creating a form where people come together for a common passion rather than grouping themselves by race, socioeconomic backgrounds. Versus Versa Style demonstrates freedom of expression, freedom of individuality, hard work self-discipline, and dedication to the form. Check them out.
0: It pushed so many boundaries. It, it was beautiful. I was really inspired by the second half of the show, because it was like a real abstract feel. And um, I couldn't even help myself. Like, I wanted to dance the whole time. Seeing that piece uh, really inspired me to just want to dance. Them dancing professionally is just really exciting. It's nice. Or on stage doing what you one day wish to do, you know, break that barrier and really have a conversation with the audience and talk about a lot of the topics and the styles that they're doing, where they come from, and um, where they originate from, and what that means for hip hop as a whole, you know.
1: Yes, uh, you know, my background is in youth development and, um, you know, that's my music. That's my era, hip hop or whatever. So, I just want to give a shout out to Versa Style Dance Company. And if you want to support their work and what they're doing in the community to 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 bridge color lines and ease racial tension, reach out to them at www.versastyledance.org. Um, or if you want to book them, reach out to Brandon at Brandon at versastyledance.org. Their number is 626-391-3810. That's what's up. (laughs) All right. So today I want to pause for this mindset minute. And um, I want to talk to you a little bit about your perspective when you go into asking a funder for money. I get pushback and it just always amazes me um, that I get pushback from grantees about how a funder is, I don't know, setting up rules or requesting things. Here's my mindset minute. The funder is in the driver's seat. The funder is in the driver's seat. I get it, you may not like it, you may not like what they ask or what they want or what they do, but the funder is in the driver's seat. You can't make up your own rules and then get pissed off when you don't get funded because you didn't follow the rules prescribed by the funder. Here's what I say to people. And listen, um, there is as much social injustice in philanthropy as there is in the world. You're never going to get me to say that, that it's equitable because it's not. Um, it's something that I talk about often. However, here's what I have to say. Until we are in those boardrooms making those decisions, until we shift philanthropy such that it is equitable in all nonprofits, regardless to the hue of their skin and the, the causes and the neighborhoods that they're in, until we are on the other side and we can make a difference, here's our truth. The funder's in the driver's seat. So what I say to nonprofits who are like, well, that's this and this, that, get the money and then do what you have to do. If you don't have the money, then you don't have choices. You don't have options. All you have is this right here. You just bumping your gums. So get the money and then do the work in your community. right? So when I tell you to edit, 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 when I tell you to follow the guidelines, here's the other thing that you may not realize. Funders are beholden to another agency. They have to report to their board. They have to report to the IRS. Like It's not like they just have this money and they don't have to report. Um, some of them have to report to the government because it's taxpayer money. So when they're asking you specific questions or for specific forms, i.e. financials, it's because they have to report out, right? So I'm going to say recognize that you are asking a funder for money. And if you want that money, then give them what they're asking for. Nine times out of 10, the issue is you don't have what they're asking for. So my solution is you get with your girl, Amber, and you go visit my website, you check out my shop, you sign up for some of these, webinars and, and, and workshops and not just me. There are a plethora of organizations out there ready to help you to get your infrastructure in place. So instead of, you know, complaining about what they're asking you for, get your house in order so that you can qualify for this money so that you can do the work that you're, that you need to do in your community. I get so much pushback. Well, that's not fair. And that's not, it's not, but they have the money. Get the money and do the work that you need to do to help me change the landscape. I can't advocate for organizations who don't have the infrastructure, right? Because here's the truth. If you can't produce financials, then from a funder's perspective, I don't know what you're going to do with my money. I don't know how you are tracking your funds. I don't know. With financial statements, I can see it. I can see what your priorities are. I can see how you're spending your money. That makes me feel secure as a funder. Because remember, grant money is not free money. I have to be accountable for that as a funder. So I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. And I'm going to say it again. The funder is in the driver's seat. Get your house in order. Tighten up your organization. Tighten up your um, your your systems. So that you can qualify for grants. Once you get the money, then you can start to make the difference that needs to be made, not only in your communities, but in philanthropy. Okay, that's what you're going to hear from Amber, right? I understand. I've been in the game for 30 years. It ain't right, but it is what it is, right? It's like my boys, I tell them. Well, if you don't like my rules, you can get out of my house. Like, that's that's my truth, right? This is my house. I'm paying the mortgage. I'm paying the bills. If you don't like it, you can kick rocks. If you don't like what a funder is requiring of you, you don't have to apply. But what you're not going to do is change that funder. And so the best way to make changes is to be strong in your application so that you can qualify, build up your portfolio of resources, and then together we can ban and make changes. Cause raggedy don't change nothing. You hear what I'm saying? All right. That's all that I have for you. Thank you so much for spending time with me in this episode. We had a side and a B side, and I got some more for you. It's coming because your girl, I got love for you. So remember, I need you to take care of yourself. Like you take care of your community. I'll see you in the next episode
0: thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode subscribe and leave a review on itunes head over to www.amberwind.net slash podcast for the links and resources mentioned in today's podcast see you next
1: time